Well, the Bible says, and I don't think this is a news flash for most of us in here. The Bible says that people need to be saved. We would agree with that idea, but you know, if you'll think about it, when you and I walk through the mall, when we walk down the street, when we walk through life, we don't look at people always as either a person that has been saved or a person that needs to be saved. While we would say, oh yes, I believe in that truth, that's not necessarily how we look at people. I mean, to say somebody needs to be saved implies they're in trouble, doesn't it? implies that there's a, a problem, that, that, that there's a danger, that there's something they can't fix, so they need to be rescued, they need to be saved. But that's not how we look at people. That's not how we're thinking of people day in and day out as we go to work. So while most of us in here would readily agree with the concept people need to be saved, I ask you today, do you really believe that? Is that really how you view each person that you look at? All people need to be saved. The rich ones, the poor ones, the educated ones, the uneducated ones, the the ones who look like they have all the friends in the world and those who are completely alone. The famous, the infamous, the completely unknown, the successful, the unsuccessful, they all need to be saved. Every single person needs to be saved. You know, I find today that the challenge is not necessarily getting somebody to see uh, that they've got a problem, that, that they've got sin in their lives. People pretty readily confess to that today. I mean, after all, aren't we all imperfect? Aren't we all dysfunctional? That's just a part of the American culture. That, we readily confess that. I think the problem is today is not that we won't confess we have a problem. It's that we don't care. We don't care. I mean, everybody has a problem. Everybody is dysfunctional. Everybody's imperfect. And since everybody is that way, since that's the norm, well, we're all okay. People are not okay. You, outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, are not okay. Your condition is critical, your future is devastating. We come today to answer another one of our what is questions. We're going to answer the question, what is salvation? And to answer that question, we actually got to answer a couple others because to to get a context, to understand the importance of salvation, we've got to understand what sin is. And to understand what sin is, you've got to understand that there is a standard. Now, that is a newsflash in America today. That there actually is a standard. We live in a culture that says there are no standards. There, are, there is no right and wrong. There are no absolutes. You just, you kind of set your, you're the standard. You, you set the standard for yourself. You, you decide what's right and wrong. You decide what you're going to go after a lot in life. And what works for you is, is what works for you. You are the standard. Unfortunately, the one who judges life has not said that. And you're not the one who judges life. God, the Bible, has said that there is a standard. And that standard is communicated consistently throughout Scripture. One place that standard, or two places that standard is communicated in the Old Testament, Leviticus, the New Testament, and 1 Peter. Very simple statement. It says, be holy. Folks, that's the standard. Not, not better than a lot of people. Not a pretty good person with pretty good intentions. It says, be holy. That's the command. Be holy means never amiss. 
It doesn't mean mostly holy on most days. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. That is our standard. Folks, sin is anything that does not conform to the, to the perfect holy standard of God. And when we don't reach that standard, we are in rebellion to God. We're in opposition to God. And God has the same attitude about sin today, right now, in August of 2009. He has the same attitude as He did when He flooded the earth. Because He was tired of seeing that sin. He has the same attitude about sin today as when he rained down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. He has the same attitude about sin today right here in your life and in my life as he did when all of his wrath was poured out at the cross. That's his attitude about sin. That's what it looks like when sin is being dealt with. God has the same attitude about sin today as He's going to have when He brings the great tribulation on this planet. God hates sin. Now here's something you may have never thought about. You want God to hate sin. And not just sin in general, you want God to hate your sin. Why why would I want that? I'm, I'm hoping God didn't see my sin. Because folks, sin is a destroyer. It is always destroying you. As a matter of fact, the greatest problem you have is that you don't always see the destruction. You don't always see that each individual sin is building up to the destruction of your life. You don't see it's a destroyer. And so quite often we keep right on going in our sin. Sin destroys us. Have you ever known a parent that didn't hate what was destroying their children? parent always hates what's destroying their children. God hates sin. Now, now what is sin? Most of us probably got some ideas running around of what sin is. Maybe we think of, you know, breaking the Ten Commandments or breaking some other command in Scripture. And, and that certainly is what sin is. We've already said sin is what does not conform to the perfect holy character of God. We could go to a a passage like 1 John 3, 4 and get a real short, simple definition of God. It says sin is the breaking of the law. Sin breaks the law of God. When we do not obey that law, we are opposing God. Now I started thinking about that. And you know what, folks? I've committed a lot of sins. So have you. But I don't think that one time that I have sinned was I ever thinking, now I'm lying right here, I'm I'm being mean right here, I'm being vengeful right here, because I want to fly in the face of God. Normally I'm not thinking about God at all. I, I don't think I've ever committed a sin with the thought that I am opposing God. And so that might be a little bit of a stretch. I'm assuming you're somewhat the same way. It might be a little bit of a stretch to say, no, wait a minute, when I sin, I'm actually flying in the face of God. I'm opposing God. But folks, when we say sin is breaking the law, don't think of the law as some inanimate object, some list of rules over here that you don't always perfectly keep. Folks, the law is an extension of God. This isn't just a a random list of ideas he thought, you know, would help us all get along better. It's an extension of who he is and his character. The reason he says do not lie is because he's truth. 
So in every single place that I lie, I am opposing truth. I am opposing who and what God is. That, that may be a stretch for you to see that. You need to get there. Because in every single sin, we are opposing God. When we studied the, the question, what is Satan? We saw in that that, the, that the, the root of all sin, the mother of all sin, is pride. Because in pride, I am saying I'm God. I mean, yeah, there's a God up there who said, don't lie. But you know what? I know more than that God. And I know more what needs to happen right here in this spot. I know how to take care of me. I know how to protect me. I know what's better for me. What are all these statements saying? I'm God. I don't need to listen to you. I listen only to me. So right here, right now in this spot, I lie. Folks, that may not be the sentences running through your mind with each and every lie. But that's what's happening. That's what we're doing. Sin is rebellion against God. And obviously, that kind of rebellion, that kind of opposition is going to have a result. Sin, for humanity, for you as an individual, makes us dead to God. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You're dead. Spiritually, right now, outside of Christ, you are dead. And folks, that statement, that simple statement right there is the single reason why there's nothing we can do to fix our problem. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of religious activity. There's nothing you're going to do in life that's going to make you pleasing to God because you're dead. A spiritually dead person, watch this logic, it's super simple. A spiritually dead person cannot produce anything of spiritual value any more than a physically dead person can produce something of physical value. You're dead. And a dead person also cannot fix their problem. A physically dead person cannot fix anything more in life. They're dead. Well, the same is true of spiritual death. Matter of fact, there's a great, very informative passage in Romans chapter 5. I'm not going to read it right now. But in Romans 5, 6-10, through 10, the, that, that passage uses four words... To describe your condition and my condition outside of, I'm going to keep prefacing this, outside of a relationship with Christ. There are four words that describe us. Number one, we are helpless. Why helpless? We'll go back to that word dead. I'm helpless. I'm powerless. I am lifeless to do anything to solve my problem. I am helpless. I am ungodly. Ungodly. You know what ungodly means? Not like God. Guess what, folks? There's nothing in heaven that's not like God. To enter heaven, you have to be like God. If you're not like God, you're not going to enter heaven. A third word, sinners. That word is a reference to back to that standard. What's the standard? Holy. The word sin means, sin means to miss the mark, to miss the standard. The standard is perfect holiness. Every day of your life, every minute of life, in words, in thought, in actions, perfect holiness. Well, we've all missed that. Some of us have missed it more than others. Some of us have missed us more often than others. But it didn't say the one who gets the fewest misses gets in. The standard is holy, perfect holiness. And folks, all of this, I explained that rebellion, that opposition, that makes us enemies of God. The average person walking around the street today probably doesn't think of themselves as an enemy of God, do they? 
But that's God's evaluation. Whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, that is God's evaluation of our life. That's the present result of sin. But obviously, there is an ultimate result of sin. And again, that's death. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Now, folks, we said we're spiritually dead. Every one of us is moving to a day in our life. For some, it may happen in the next couple weeks. For some, it won't happen for another 30, 40, 50 years. But we're all moving to a day where we're physically going to die. If you walk through the door of physical death, spiritually dead, then you enter into eternal death. Death, don't ever think of death as ceasing to exist. The Bible never defines, never describes death as just you stop. It's the end. Never says that. You're going to live forever. There is physical death. There is spiritual death. If you add those two things together, you end up with eternal death. The place of eternal death is described by Jesus. He uses words like hell. He uses words like torment. He uses words like weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds awful, doesn't it? Folks, that's what we're being saved from. That is what we are being rescued from. But the problem is, if I don't know I'm drowning, I'm not going to call out to a lifeguard, am I? A lot of times we think that salvation begins when we begin to understand that, that God loves us and that Jesus has done this work for us on the cross. But folks, I think ultimately for people to get there, they've got to come back one step prior. Our faith begins with agreeing with God's evaluation of us. I've got to agree with God. I've got to trust God's opinion about me. Not my opinion about me. Not your opinion about me. Not an institution's opinion about me. What is God's evaluation of me? See, a lot of people think, well, you know what? I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, look around. I'm not, not as bad as they are. I'm not as bad as that person at work. And I'm trying. I think I, think I can pick out a religion. I think I'm smart enough to, to pick out a religion that represents God. I mean, they're all the same anyway, right? I, I can pick one out. I, I, th I think it'll work out when I get there. That's what a lot of humanity thinks. It's a very natural way to think. And what it says is, God, I reject your evaluation of me. So see, faith really begins with saying, I'm going to trust in what God says about me instead of myself. That's my first question for you this morning. Do you trust God's evaluation of you or do you trust yourself? It's a big question. Because I would submit to you that most of us in here, when we think about ourselves and when we think about people, we think we're pretty good. And that's why we think it's unfair that God would send some people to hell. Do you know why we think that's unfair? Because we assume people are basically good and we assume they deserve something, that God owes them something. Folks, those thoughts are a rejection of what God has already revealed. It's a rejection of what God has already communicated about our condition. So now that we've got an understanding of there's a standard and we know what sin is, we know our condition, we know our destiny, now we're ready to get a little bit of a grasp on what salvation is. 
You know, salvation, very simply, is God's work on behalf of man. It is God's work for an individual. And this has got to be real clear here. It is not an individual's work for God. Salvation is not what we are doing for God. Now, folks, I'm not even talking about other religions here. I'm talking about inside what we would call the Christian faith. There are too many churches. There are too many uh, denominations that is a part of their doctrine, a part of their beliefs. They would teach that man has something to do with his salvation. It would encourage that you can work your way into heaven. You need to do a certain amount of good works. You, you need to fulfill a certain amount of sacraments or ordinances or religious duties. And if you do these things... They'll make you right before God. I, I, I don't know how a church, a denomination can call itself Christian and teach that because it's the absolute opposite of what Scripture says. God has said something absolutely contrary to the idea that you are going to be good enough to work your way into heaven. That he, God has never even challenged you to have the concept to be good enough to work your way into heaven. As a matter of fact, he has said just the opposite. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace, grace is a free gift, undeserved free gift. For by grace you are saved, through faith, and that not of yourself. It's God's gift. Look at three words here, folks. Not from works. Don't you love it when people say, Well, you know, I, I don't read the Bible or get into church because there's so many interpretations. Folks, there's not a lot of interpretations. That's a smokescreen. How many different ways are there to interpret the phrase, not from works? Your salvation is not from works. How many ways are there to take that? You know, there's some challenging passages in the Bible. There's some difficult things to get your arms around. Folks, don't ever underestimate how much of the Bible is absolutely very clear, very straightforward. Your salvation is not by works. That's not the only passage. Another one, Titus 3, 5. He saved us. You didn't save you. The church didn't save you. A priest didn't save you. He saved you. Not, there it is again. Not by works of righteousness that we had done. I've done no work of righteousness that makes me saved. It's not by my works. It's by his mercy. Now, folks, good works, a good life, a, a moral life, a religious life, whatever that connotates for you. Very important. Very, very important. God has created us. Four good works. As a matter of fact, I just quoted Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, You were created for good works. Good works are very important. They're very much a part of our life. They are the basis of how we're going to be rewarded and how much we're going to be rewarded. But watch this. Good works are a product of salvation. Good works do not produce salvation good works are a product of salvation you got that that's what scripture says over and over and over and over and over it's not just a new testament concept it's the old testament concept it is god's work that saves us you know, to give you a fuller idea of all that is going on in salvation and, and the ridiculousness of thinking that 
Well, I, I went to church 47 out of 52 Sundays this year, so I think that's going to do it. I, I want to throw a, a little bit of a vocabulary lesson at you. I, I want to throw some words at you that just show the concept of all that is going on in us getting saved and then trying to imagine that there's something that I do that makes that happen. Let's look at these words. First word is atonement. To make atonement is to make things right. The, the word atonement literally in the Hebrew language means to cover over. So Jesus, the scripture teaches that Jesus is my atonement. He is covering over my guilt. He is covering over my sin. He, he is covering over all that is wrong about. Remember, I'm an enemy of God. Outside of a relationship with Christ, I am an enemy of God. I'm not okay with God. Things are not right between God and I. But when I place my faith in Christ, He becomes my atonement. He covers all that wrong and He makes things right. That word grace, again, I already said that, unmerited, undeserved favor bestowed on you. You know, folks, back to that idea that all religions are the same. This one word is, is just one concept that radically separates Christianity from all, not most, all world religions, all cults, the big ones and the small ones. This separates Christianity from everything else. Christianity is the only one that has a concept of a God of grace. All other religions are man trying to work his way up to heaven, man trying to clean himself up to get ready for God. But remember, that God's already spoken. He's already revealed. You're not going to clean yourself up. You're not going to get ready. You're dead. Doesn't mean he loves you. So by grace, he moves into your life. And brings about the opportunity for salvation, a salvation that is going to be the result of his goodness not our goodness. The work of God, the salvation of God, it is grace that makes it a gift. A third word, propitiation. We looked at this word not too long ago when we were answering the question, what is Jesus? And, and there's two words that go with propitiation. Satisfaction and wrath. Propitiation means wrath has been averted. Folks, you have, and think how, how few people in your life live in this reality. Obviously, clearly, the unbelievers. You have a tsunami of wrath that is going to rain down on your life. Some of that wrath begins in this life. Ultimately, that storm hits when you walk through the door of physical death. And there's no way we can handle that. There's no way we can prepare for that. There's no way we can avert it. But Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus is our atonement. Jesus is our propitiation. He is an offering satisfactory. He is a satisfactory offering. He is a satisfactory payment that averts that wrath away from me. I said a moment ago that God's wrath was poured out on the cross. I deserve that wrath. That wrath was mine. That wrath was something my sin bought. Not Jesus. But Jesus stepped into my place. And God justly poured out that wrath and his wrath was satisfied. And the wrath that should have come to me was averted. That's propitiation. Another word, forgiveness. You know this word in general, it means God doesn't hold us accountable any longer for our sins. He puts them away. He remembers them no more. You know what forgiveness means? Ultimately, it means he doesn't treat you as your life has deserved. He doesn't treat you like your sins deserve for you to be treated. 
Let's look at this next word, justification. This may be the most central word to understanding what salvation is. This is the word that makes Christianity a religion of faith and of grace. In justification, God is displaying a number of things. On one hand, he's displaying his judgment, his wrath, his hatred for sin. In justice, he pours out his wrath and judgment on sin. Sin is punished. Sin is condemned. That happens at the cross. But on the other hand, in his justice, he is displaying his mercy in that he forgives and he pardons the sinner. And then in both of that, we see God's wisdom because he does both. He's being both judging and merciful at the exact same time. And it's done perfectly. Folks, justice or or justification is a legal standing. And it means when I go and stand before God, I stand before him rightly and justly. I'm in right standing with his law. I'm in right standing with God. Now, somebody explain to me, what is it you do in life that gives you the ability to say, I can stand here before God and I am right by the law and I am right by him? Because I'm not. And neither are you. Doesn't matter what kind of sin, how many sins, you're not right by God. But by the work of justification, the work that was accomplished by the blood of Christ, it's by his work, not mine, that I can stand there and be justified. This is what keeps us from being condemned. Let's look at this next word, regeneration. Remember what we said a moment ago? We're dead, right? Well, that, that's, that situation's got to be resolved. We've got to be brought back to life. You remember in John 3 when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and, and Jesus said, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus said, born again? That's kind of weird. Let me crawl back in my mother's womb and have a, a second physical birth. Jesus says, no, you, you've already had a physical birth. You've already got a physical life, but you're spiritually dead. That part of you's got to be born again. That part of you's got to be resurrected. That part of you has to come to life. And folks, by our faith in Christ, that regeneration happens by a work of the Holy Spirit. And that's where life really begins. Regeneration happens at salvation. It may happen when you're six years old. It may happen when you're 12. It may not happen until you're 37. But when it happens, that's when life begins. That's when your good works begin to count for something. That's when good works begin to add up for something. That's when your life begins to take on meaning and purpose because you're alive. You've been born again. The next word, adoption. Justification is probably the most important word to salvation. This is my favorite word. I mean, folks, think of this. A work of God whereby we become his children and heirs. Now, how can how can anyone, any church, any denomination teach the concept that we're working our way into heaven? You know, and I, I, I was nice most of the time and I tried to be pretty good at this and I was certainly better than all those people over there. So because of that, I can stand here before God and say, I deserve to be a child of God and I deserve to be an heir to your kingdom. Can you imagine saying that to God? That there's something going on in your life that gives you the opportunity and the right to say that. Now, folks, do you see how we cling to Grace. Do you see why that grace is so amazing? Because it is by that undeserved work of God that I get to stand here before God, not to be condemned, but as a child of his, ready to receive an inheritance. And then the last word, redemption. This is how salvation is accomplished. The payment that Jesus made is a ransom. He is our redeemer. 
You sold, I sold, we sold ourselves into slavery to sin. Put us in a horrible condition. Jesus, at a great cost to himself, purchased us out of that condition. He bought us out of that slavery. He is our redeemer. So what is salvation? Folks, salvation is a rescue. Salvation rescues you from being a child of Satan to being a child of God. The Bible doesn't give another kind of child. You are one or the other. You're not in transition. You're not in process. You're a child of Satan or you're a child of God. Salvation rescues us from hell to heaven. Salvation rescues us from living a meaningless life that will result in the condemnation of God. It rescues us from that to living a purposeful life that will be eternally rewarded. Salvation is the work of God where He displays His grace, His goodness, His kindness. It's a work of God that restores to you the ability to bring glory to Him. And that's what you were created for. That restores you to the purpose for which you were designed. And folks, this salvation is accomplished by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing you do, nothing I do, nothing the church does for you is done by Christ at the cross. Now that just leaves one question. Are you saved? You know, here again, we say, well, I don't follow religions because there's there's just all kinds of interpretations, all kinds of ways of looking at the Bible. It's not true. The Bible is utterly clear about what it takes to be saved. In Acts chapter 16, verse 30 to 31, a guy actually asked, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe that's what you do. How many different ways are there to interpret that? How many different kinds of religions can you come up with that? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. That's it. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. Is that pretty clear? Is that pretty straightforward? Now, we might go into, you know, a whole kind of discussion of what does that belief actually look like? What does that actually mean? I'm not going to start another sermon. We could. We could, couldn't we? What, what is it belief? Is belief just saying, well, yeah, I, I mentally adhere to those religious ideas. No, of course not. Folks, if I really believe Jesus is God, I really believe he loved me to the point that he died for me. I really believe that I've been adopted as a child of God. Isn't that going to show up somewhere in a changed life? See, to believe means that I love him. I love him. I love his ways. I love what he wants. And that's how the Bible describes love for God. First John 5, 3 says this is what love for God is to obey his commands. See, I can't say I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, and yet there's no change in my life. I can't say I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, and I'm not really interested in what he wants in this situation or what he wants in life in general. I'm not really interested in his people. I'm not really interested in the church, even though that's his primary interest. You can't say that and then say you believe. That's a contradiction. As a matter of fact, I often tell people, the longer you can go in sin, 
and be comfortable, be okay with that, the more likely you were never actually saved. Now, I don't believe a person can lose their salvation. As a matter of fact, we're going to come back next week and look at part two of what is salvation, and that's going to be what is eternal security. You cannot lose salvation if you genuinely have it. Folks, I go to passages like, like the end of Matthew chapter 7, and clearly there are people who are going to cry out, Lord, Lord, and Jesus will say, I never knew you. Get away from me. Ah, wait, no, wait, 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 what's going on there? Folks, it's not just saying, oh, yeah, I believe in that set of facts. Real belief, real confession results in a real changed life. A life that desires him, a life that walks with him. Folks, real belief doesn't mean you're living perfectly. Because I don't know of anybody in this room that's living perfectly. But real belief puts the desire in your heart to live perfectly for your Savior. Real belief says every day I want to get one step closer to following right behind him. If that's not the desire of your heart, then you don't have real belief. And if you don't have real belief, you're not saved. And if you're not saved, you're in trouble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know that it's very comfortable for us, but I would pray right now that every person in this room would look into their heart and say, am I really saved? Does my life show a life that is really saved? God, may we begin to process this concept of your evaluation of us, not, not our own evaluation of our life, not somebody else's evaluation, but yours. God, I pray we would deal honestly with what has happened and what is going on in our lives. Lord, it would be my desire that not a single person would exit this building today lost. That not a single person would exit this room not prepared to walk through that door of physical death. God, may nobody leave here today spiritually dead. But may they see their lostness. May they see their need. And God, may they come to receive your gift, your gift of atonement, your gift of forgiveness, your gift of being born again, your gift of adoption. Lord, if there's any lost in here in this moment, Holy Spirit, right now, would you whisper in their ear and tell them. You're lost. You don't know me. Holy Spirit, let them know. And would you give them the faith in this moment to confront that reality and to take a step of faith and receive that great gift of salvation. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we ask this. Amen.